Hey, this is Matteo Lane. I'm Emma Wilman. And this is Inside the Closet. Inside the Closet. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Closet. It's Matteo Lane and Emma Wilman. So, look, I have a whole intro that I want to read for y'all because. Do it. And then I want to just get to chit chatting. Are, 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 Drew and Tom, I don't even know if you guys are ready for this. Oh, oh boy. I am. <laughs> there you go. Drew, that is better lighting. Whatever right. you did, find it. The lighting is okay. <clears throat> Tom Detrini's, not Detrini, which we just discussed. Uh, new show, Making Friends, is a gay tastic look at anger through the <laughs> eyes of a quick witted rageaholic who just wants to be your friend. Directed by Drew Drogi and presented by IAMA Theater Company. Is I say that right? Is that right? IAMA. I am up. Okay, so I should, I, I'm fired. Um, That's fine. That's okay. This 60-minute comedic solo show will be filmed and then streamed starting December 17th for a month on demand with various streamed Q&As with Trini's friends and colleagues to be announced. The show includes a dance number from Catherine Burns' choreographer, Emma, who you know, for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. You guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. Have you gotten to, had you gotten to work with Catherine before? How did that come about? Um, that came about because I did uh, a musical at the beginning of this year, right before we got shut down for the pandemic. But mm. uh, uh, she choreographed that musical. That's so awesome. That's how I got to know her, and it was called Found. The musical was called Found, and it was very like funny and and ridiculous. And she's incredible at, you know finding humor in choreography. And so mm-hmm. I, I wanted to make sure that I use her because she's so easy to work with and she's got such a fun brain. So um, that's how we got connected doing that. And um, you met her, Mateo, actually. She came with Rachel Bloom when we interviewed Rachel at DragCon. That's who's Rachel's friend was when we were there. Oh, this I do remember her. So I Catherine remember, came. Emma, you telling me a story on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that you couldn't memorize the dance and they're like, just hold a balloon and stand to the left. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I think I was the only person on it that was on regularly that didn't dance. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> the ice that. That's what she does the best is that she is, she can take, I mean, cause I've worked, I've worked with her so many times. She worked at UCB. We were, we were doing these crazy musicals at UCB and Catherine comes in and goes, Oh, Hey comedian, I'm going to make you look like, you know, Twyla Tharp up here. Yeah. Uh, and most of us, zip zap zoppers are not that so she's really good at making it and like tom said she's also really funny so she blends the yeah that's like her thing so when i wasn't able to do it they were like (laughs) so that i took i was because people were like oh of course you couldn't you're not a trained dancer and i was like no her thing is she can work with anybody um but that's great that that you guys got to work with her too she's amazing yeah she's lovely all this dance is reminding me. I've been watching Liza Minnelli interviews all weekend, and when she was talking about having brain, <laughs> when she was talking about having brain encephalitis, she was like, "And I remember that I didn't know how to. I couldn't speak, but I could rehearse. And I called oh. Luigi, my dancer, and he cried, and we danced, and that's how I got. <laughs> I have never heard of brain encephalitis." I'm Googling it. No, that's, that's, a, that's such a good Liza, too. That you was a really very good Liza. Oh, thank oh. you. Thank you so much. I, my father, Vincent Minnelli, I remember the first thing my mother said to me. She said, Liza, call an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> I love you really nailed her inhale, her real nasal inhale that I don't normally see. Most people do Liza all pushed out. Like, I love it. 
Yeah, I, I tend to lean on Liza after stroke seven. Like, I think a lot of people love Liza pre, you know, right. the stroke. They're sort of like, right. mama, but I'm more like, right. I'm a jazzer. You know, just kind of like, like almost just Starting think. stories with, I, re I remember that I couldn't think. Not right. <laughs> I'm going to add in real quick that their show, Making Friends, will be available for viewing beginning December 17th and continue streaming through January 11th. Whoa. So there's that window. And then is it going to be available anywhere after that? Or you can only get it when you tune in talking about it. I have some ideas about places that we can put it, but it'll be, uh, as far as we know, it's, I mean, we, uh, well, I'll, I guess we say no now and like watch it this month, uh, you know, so right. watch it this month because that's like, that's a sure thing. Um, yep. And every week we have different talkbacks with different people. So like this week we have Michael Yuri, and next week we have different people. So they kind of do a, you know, Q and a. So like, you know, depending on the week that you, it's like a happy meal, depending on what yeah. um, we get a little added bonus a treat. Mm -hmm. That's um, great. I, I want to chat. I mean, I mean no, talking about characters and stuff. And obviously, Drew, you're super famous for characters you've done. And I just want to talk to both of you about like being actors and being comics and being writers. When you're, I, I, it's a very cliche question to ask, but you're both very particular. How do you come up with? Characters, how do you find voices? How do you get addicted? Like with Liza, I, I've gotten addicted to her cadence <laughs> and mannerisms. And if someone was like, talk like Liza the rest of your life, no, I could do it. No question. Oh, God. So oh, God. I'm just sort of, if you want to talk to me, I know you went to UC, you worked at UCB and uh, just sort of talk to us about like how you started in comedy and how you developed your voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tom, do you want to go first? I'm thinking specifically, you go first, Drew. Okay. Great. Well, I, uh, I think and this is this is really tied in with Tom's show, but this is really true and has whenever I I, I base a lot of characters on people that, ma that make me angry and then mm. and I when I see someone in life and I go Ugh, my exorcism is getting to put on a wig and play them and I sort of and I I love playing t terrible gay people because I try I, I in my mind I'm like don't be this everybody don't be this asshole like this is why you know. And, um, you know, <laughs> or I mean, even people, I mean, like I actually, and I, I, you know, and I've said this many times, like, so in like Chloe 70, I don't hate, I, I think she's kind of wonderful, but there's something very specific. I, I sort of, I read an interview with her. I sort of imagined, cause I don't really do great impressions. I'm more about like, what's their soul like? And what's mm -hmm. inside? like that's the essence. Me. Right. So like, I never tried to do like, so. And I love when people can do, like, I mean, just literally hearing you do Liza, I'm like, that's so her. Like, if I close my eyes, I'd be like, that's really her. And I love that skill. But I always kind of been more, a little bit messier and a little bit more like, what if they're like this bizarro sort of take on them? And so then, and I just, I started through the groundlings and that's where everything is like character, character, character. You improvise as a character. You never get up on stage as yourself. And then I went to UCB later, which is more like, more like be yourself and come up with the idea, you know, and you're, and so, but I always come at things from character point of view. I feel a lot freer um, to just to, to play different people and sort of like point out things in the world that I find either ridiculous or horrible or um, worth laughing at. Do you feel you can be almost like, for example, Martin Short, when he puts on the Jiminy Glick outfit, he's mean. He can mm. be so mean to people and people love it. 
I mean, there's there's kind of a because I don't do I mean I do Liza, but just sort of like this is it, you know. So it's like I I don't I've never put on a costume, but I feel like when you see people putting on costumes, even just the wig, that that prop sort of gives you the freedom. Absolutely. How many drag queens do we know that are like such like lovely people in life and just none? I know none. But it's like, there's a real power in that. You put a wig on and people kind of almost want you to abuse them. They kind of will enjoy that. And you can just say things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when you look at cartoons, like cartoons can get away with so many things that live action. Like Big Mouth is a great example. I'm like, if that was real people, if those are real kids, it would be so disturbing. It wouldn't work at all. But because it's a right. cartoon, it actually can be really subversive, really heartwarming, really funny. And so like, I, you you know, your character can really... And, you know, and you really let yourself be. And then I take the wig off and I don't feel a need to be mean in real life. I got, <laughs> I got over it. So it's therapeutic for me. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you saw a person that made you that angry that then your instinct was to pretend to be them? Because you must have had other ways of dealing with it before you went to that. Oh, that's such a good question. I will say the first time I ever like did like this kind of thing or like drag was the summer I was in Kentucky. Mm. Um there was what a this, place I, to pick to do drag. Right? <laughs> I know how to smell a hit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I was doing, we were doing summer stock at this 900 seat theater, the Jenny Wiley Theater, which was like the best summer of my life. We were doing these insane productions in front of, in front of outdoor, like 900 people every night. And there were these really bitter women that would come and just have these like, oh, and there was a woman that wrote the reviews in the paper. That's how Oh, God. And so I created this character named Leela Faye Coltrane, who came in and put out a wig, and I just gave and I gave scathing reviews of everyone in the entire company. We did like a cabaret show, and I just went through every single person and just insulted them as this woman because I was so mad that this woman had this power at a local paper to write. It was it was she was talking about how uh, we were doing Greece, and I remember her her headline was Greece is not the word. <laughs> it was all about how Greece was this hateful profane sex show and it was just it was just the most puritanic about greece and this was and how old were you you guys were in high school i was in after college this was 19 okay 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 because if she was giving that review to kids in high school i was like oh she just needs to die but that's still totally fucked look at how drew how shocked drew is that he's frozen oh no 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 (laughs) i'm kidding your camera was frozen for a second (laughs) (laughs) so this was after college that she gave you the review yeah this was this was sorry if my freeze my wi-fi is terrible um this was 1999 i mean 20 years after the movie came out she's like this is just filth so she was was she wanted to name it that that's what it was she wanted to do grease is not the word and she'd been waiting for an opportunity she's been waiting for the yeah was rizzo played by someone in their early hundreds (laughs) <laughs> I do remember our Rizzo was in her early 30s and our Sandy was from the local high school. So Sandy was 16. Oh, that works. That sure. Works. Yeah. yeah. How, did she not, how did she not know going in that's what the musical was about? Like, what yeah. is the issue? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. And the stage show is even tamer than the movie. It's like nothing. Yeah, it's boring. Wow. Tom, uh, what about you? Like, how did you, where are you from? Where did you get started? And what made you want to be? Yeah, what, what, what play Rizzo is what I want to know. What role, what, talk about Greece. 
yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Greece was really my finest. I've done Greece so many times. I'm an expert at it. I travel <laughs> the world. Um, I grew up on Long Island originally. That's where I'm from. And then I went to school in Buffalo and then I came to LA. And when I came out to LA, I didn't really like, um, I was working before I actually started to do anything out here. It was like several years before I was like, oh, I guess I have to like come out here to do what I did, you know, what I planned to do. Mm -hmm. Like I always kind of just enjoyed comedy more than musical theater, which is what I was doing in school and all before school, you know, and to answer your question, I think the first person that I started to make fun of was Julia Child at like in <laughs> grade because I found her like so peculiar. Like she was almost like she was throwing up her words every time. She <laughs> totally. Who is this woman? And then I found out that she only had one boob because of a mastectomy. And I, I didn't know that about her. And then Meryl Streep didn't show us that scene. No. And then I kind of like, of course, in ninth grade was like, well, that's incredible. So my impression only had one boo whenever I was, <laughs> which is so mean. Yeah. So terrible. No, you're a good actor. You're studying your character. That's, right. that's all I do is method work. It's just <laughs> work all of the time. And so like, that's kind of how I was like, oh, I, this is fun. And so I just kind of went on from there to make fun of people. And I think like my, I've always been like an angry little kid, but I've always had to be kind mm. of a kid. And that's what the show is about really is like how my family around me was like, no, be a better, be a better person. And I was like, I really don't want to be a better person. Mm. Instead, I just started like sucking dicks all the time as a young kid. But like, that, that, it, that does make you a better person. <laughs> it sure does. Thank Absolutely. You. An angel. An angel. <laughs> we support I, bottoms and sucking dick here. We love any, Emma said it, bottoms make the world. I always say, yeah, I, bottoms make, it's the biggest gift of humankind. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Do you welcome. think your parents were saying that? Was that code for them trying to get you to be more stereotypically masculine? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's I, what, I, when I was reading that, that's what I was like picking up. And sometimes it wasn't even my parents as much as it was my, like my, uh, my extended family around me that were very religious. Like my mom let me walk around the house in heels and like dresses and like put things around my waist so I could like, you know, look like I was a lady. Like she was like, oh, you're having a great time. But like the rest of the family was just like, really, should you do that? You know? So um, that's kind of how I got to here. And Drew and I met. I think just because homos. Sucking dicks. Um, apparently. Sucking <laughs> <laughs> dark. Separate dicks. No yeah. names, just dicks everywhere. Yeah. Oh, the good old days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like the Los Angeles Eagle, just like in the bathroom. <laughs> I love you called it the Los Angeles Eagle. That's right. <laughs> because I had to be specific that we weren't. I the there was an eagle in every city. Or the, or the Tokyo one, which I've also been to, which is oh. really just a gay bar. FYI. It's not Have like you heard of that, Mateo? The Los Angeles oh, I, Eagle? Do you think I turned gay yesterday? I I'll never heard of it. I've heard of the Los Angeles. I didn't hear about that. It's like the Soho House Barcelona, except it's the Eagle Los Angeles. Yeah, there it is. Reeks yeah. of pit sweat and cheap beer, Reeks. and it's wonderful. Attitude, yeah. side eye, dicks getting oh sucked. It's a, it's a strange... It's a strange energy of, of cash only. That's when you know that it's a shady place when it's cash only and it's right. in LA, especially because there are a lot of places in New York that are cash only, but in LA, it's cash only. One of the if few. It's, if it's cash, a cash only here, it's weird. Like mother load for the longest time was cash only until like a few years ago. I feel like it was like strictly only. Uh, um, 
so anyway, that's kind of that's kind of a little bit about the show, like how I kind of came to be. So Drew and I met sucking dicks, like we said, <laughs> and, then we, and then we did some shows at uh, at the Rockwell for a while, and then I did Die Mommy Die with Drew, and then we just have kind of done a lot of stuff ever since. And um, I went to UCB, but I also went to Groundlings a little bit too. So I mm. did little bits and pieces at both both places. But um, the reason why this exists is because Drew and I are actually very angry human beings. <laughs> and it was fun to just like play with what makes me angry on the stage. And there's like a few characters that, and I think to what he said, I make a lot of character work off of people who I'm just like, you fucking idiot. And it does feel really good to be really fucking oh, yeah. stupid. You well, know? I, think, I think it's a, like, I know probably as queer people and gay men, you know, but there's a lot of angst growing up and a lot of resentment. And my friend Pat Powers put it best to me. He said, <laughs> he said, all these gays gather at these fucking events and put on gingham print tops and drink fruity cocktails and all act like we didn't go through some deep shit trauma growing up. He's like, but let's just be real. All of us want to just put on makeup and wear moo's and <laughs> stop trying to pretend what we're not. And I was like, it's true. It's yeah. true. But I feel that rage. Right. Yeah. And we're also silenced a lot as, as queer kids. Like you're told that you're put in the corner. You're told, you know, we're not, they don't enjoy our sense of humor or our outlook. And so we're, we're made sure. quiet. And so we observe a lot more. Mm-hmm. So we do pick up on minutia. We've had to, to survive and go, oh, I think aunt so-and-so is kind of an asshole and everyone <laughs> else is putting up with her, but she's awful. Or this uncle or this brother or, or whatever is, is a, is weird in this way or, or this isn't normal like we we sort of see we, we you know we're outsiders in that way as well in a really yeah. beautiful important way i think creative. and also people that are comedians or attracted to comedy or comedic act comedic actors are yes. usually generally neurotic yep. angry so that's a psychosis that goes with take the gay out of it we're already in yeah. that right. cocktail and then that's just like a Really stern it up. You're right. You know, I love my favorite doc. My favorite movie is Public Speaking with Fran Lebowitz, and she talks a lot about how you know people always say, "Oh, because you're gay, you're artistic," which is not true. But to your point, where she says, "I think when you're gay, you're forced to observe, Mm -hmm. and so when you're observing for so long, obviously, the older you get, it's going to come out in some way, shape, or form." Because I think a lot of people, straight people, don't realize it, but they're just playing to the script. Yes. And everything sort of played out for them and they're just playing along to this script. And then, you know, and it's interesting you say about people don't appreciate our sense of humor because there is kind of an awakening back in my day when you find <laughs> other gay people oh, absolutely. and you, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I wasn't the only one who loved Maleficent or obsessed over Streisand's nose oh, or yeah. loves Maria right. Callas. Or like you, it's so strange to see the similarities. And I wonder what that is that, that why we all sort of have that, Comment. Well, now too with like tick the internet, pe- like TikTok, everyone's can like find that like right away. So that people yeah. coming up aren't going to relate to that as much because like they always had like whatever your niche. Inter- it's almost like the more niche, the better when you're talking about online. You know, we're gonna take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. <laughs> the real quick break has anyone noticed when they watch in your shows has anyone that you are mad at noticed that you're doing them they never do they all the first ones to come up and say oh my god that character is such a piece of shit you know and you're like "Uh uh-huh yeah that that's happened oh oh 
I mean, I don't want to talk too loosely because please like, talk know, loosely. But, Loose you know, women, I mean, a British like, version of the View. Please, I want to. A friend and I, okay, a friend and I <laughs> developed a show around someone that we can't stand, and it was literally because my friend was like, "I had a dream that you and I killed him," and that's how <laughs> we just, so we're like, "Where do we put this rage? Where do we put this anger?" Right. So we came up with characters and did a show and. First person after the show, like, oh my God, that's the funny. I love it. Oh my God, those people are, are such monsters. And we were like, oh, cool, great. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the fun of doing this work. People don't see themselves in it at all. Yeah. Emma, that's the beauty of doing, because we do stand-up, and I feel like in stand-up, like, there's no way to cover it. Like, there's no... Right. It's just so... I mean, there's been times where I've talked shit, and if someone comes up and... Is, is that about me? And I have to be like, yeah, it is about yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I had that too. I had that too. They were like, that's about me, right? And I was like, ah, yeah, it is. Yeah, mm. it's it's bizarre. No, well, I, it, will happen with, it will happen with this show because it's also a lot about my family. And mm. I changed all of their names so that no one would actually be able to figure any of this out. But when they watch it, they're going to be like, oh, were you talking? Are you talking about me? And I'm going to have to be like, yeah, I'm talking about you. Yeah, but your characters, Tom, are all kind of amalgamations. You have a few that are based on real people. Yes. Yeah, there's a few based on ex-boyfriend and everything. But you have a lot, too, that are like, this is what I hate about this kind of person put into a character. Like, you've got that. So, you know, yours is going to come more in your actual Tom moments when you talk about your life experience. And there's no way... Like to Mateo and Emma's point, when doing stand up, you have to just be honest. You know, it's like you have to just sometimes yeah. get in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like some of you know the, the the characters in there that are like super gay are really, truly, you're right, <laughs> very much an amalg- an amalgamation of many people who I want to punch in the face. Most, <laughs> but most. Thomas, I have a question. So I I come from a very large Italian family. I'm one of like I don't know 700 cousins, and we all grew up on the same block, and we're all the same age and stuff. So the intro, when I started doing stand-up, my family was furious if I didn't talk about them. I'd have to hide mm-hmm. shows from them or they would all show up. My grandparents came to sidetrack the gay bar and oh. all my cousins. And they, they're, my Uncle Mike's like, any more Uncle Mike stories? You're going to talk more about me? I'm like, no, people don't know you or care about you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I find it interesting, like with, with your family, like when you're performing and you're doing the show and there's characters and they're obviously they're going to come see you. I mean, do, yeah. does that, as a performer, when you get on stage, do you feel a hesitation, like a pause? Or you're like, fuck it, they can deal with it. I'm just going to go for it. Um, I'm just gonna, I, I, I have a moment of hesitation before I go on stage because the hardest people for me to perform in front of are my family, but they come to everything no matter what. Right. Really? Oh yeah, they'll come to So anything. they're supportive. Oh, they're very supportive. Yeah, incredibly so. Like my but you're just rip shit at them. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. there's your immediate family, they're very supportive and you rip, you rip your extended family more. You don't yeah, rip your immediate family. Yeah. So there's that, yeah. You haven't had the, because I haven't figured out how, um, like when people are like, oh, Mateo, your family, it is my extended family. They they just are always there. I make a joke. I'm like, if you take a shit in my family, five minutes later, you'll get a call from your grandpa being like, I heard it was rough. Like, I mean, there's just no (laughs) privacy. Yeah, there is is privacy in my family, but there isn't. It's very, it's a very strange dynamic because I'm one of six kids. My dad is one of like eight. My mom is one of four. I have 30 cousins on one side. I have like, you know, six 
heaven on the other side. There's just like so many human beings, but it's, <clears throat> they're, they're mostly in, in New York still. There's very few that are like in other places, but it's kind of expanding because they're all having children and they're all, you know, they're all, you know, fucking make Have any of them joined a cult? <laughs> None of them have joined a cult. Oh, I'm sad about, no, but they have joined a cult. It's called Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a say, yes, they have. Yes. I was wondering if they had joined a cult because I it's probably what's the percentage of people in cults? I just watched that documentary on HBO now about the Nexium cult. Yes. I have I have a friend who went to the first weekend of that cult. Re- have you heard of that, Mateo? No, I don't even know. I thought I, I, okay, I don't want to sidetrack for heartburn. I, mean, I, I don't want it does sound like that. I don't want to heartburn make medication. It really does. But if you're <laughs> gonna watch one and I am I suggest watching the, the showtime one, which is better, more concise, and very clear. So I recommend to the room. Watch the Showtime one. Really? They, they, it was only four episodes as opposed to nine rambling episodes. Okay. And you get in there a lot, a lot better than the than the HBO one does. Drew, I have it, a it's a sex cult. It's a it's a sex cult, Mateo. They basically. Oh, so okay, it's being gay. Got it. I um, insane. It's uh, Drew. Did you impersonate your family growing up? And like, what were you like as a performer as a young kid? Did people support you? I'm just curious because I I would perform for my family. I would do. Michael Jackson impressions and oh my god! I, no, I was I performed for my friends at school. I was hmm. very my family was very loving and supportive, but they didn't think I was funny. Like I was the smart, <laughs> I was the smart kid, and my brother was the funny one. And my brother is a genius, and he's also very funny. But the, he like, but he was considered the funny one, and I'm the you know. So I was the serious, quiet one, and going up to my room. So I would go to school and I would act out. So I would do I would do more impressions of my teachers and like other people. Like I love to impersonate my teachers and make my make my friends laugh. And when I and I really I mean growing up in a small town in North Carolina, I realized that I could be that's how I could get friends. Is like mm. I could be funny like that. I could make fun of like I could do like impressions, and also like I you know made people think I was possessed like to keep bullies away. I tell like. In, in like hyper Christian world. Yeah, I tell the gay kids, act possessed, act like you get the devil in you and they'll stay away from you. They don't want- What do you do? Oh, you just start growling and petting yourself and <laughs> quietly laughing. They can <laughs> laughing, you know. You know, little things like that. Oh, and then people are like, oh, he's not right. Get away from him. They won't I... beat you up if they think a demon can leap out of your mouth and go and get into there. Don't I stay love away from quietly me. laughing. I just imagine you, this small child, just like, <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, <laughs> oh, oh, everything I could find, every every horror movie I could emulate, I would just find different things because it would make my friends laugh, really. Right. And I acted like this character. I did this character called the Griffin, and I acted like I had a, like a medieval Griffin inside me, and I would, and I would act possessed, and my cl- my ki- my my kids, my friends <laughs> in high school thought they were really funny. Wow. I also call my friends my kids. I'm a horrible person. <laughs> How uh, angry would you get? Like, were you like a rageaholic? Like, did you like get in trouble? I would know. I usually didn't get in trouble for a bit. I, I was able to like funnel that a little bit mm. more. I had a really like, I had a very emotional father who was just would fly off the hand. My, my dad was also really funny. And my dad mm. would do impressions. Growing up, my dad would do different characters for me and my brother, like Saturday morning. He was never like a throw the football in the yard kind of dad. Would, thank God. He was a very much like, let's just point this out. What's wrong about the world. Oh, that's great. It was great. And he trained me and my brother to pay attention to like 
bizarre people really early on. So I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, he was also, he was angry because he wasn't able to be, he wasn't able to like perform or have that side of him really expressed. And so Hmm. I, I feel lucky that I was able to find it and channel it and, you know, make it my, my life. Yeah. That's very different from most dads. Oh yeah. My dad, I mean, a very nice man, but I mean, I emotions don't even, he was in Vietnam. So his, he, I mean, it's it's over. <laughs> my oh, dad out the never room. points. He's a very nice guy. Right. Yeah, my dad never points out. I, I mean, I can't even think of one instance where he would point out something specific about someone. I mean, I, this is going to sound like I'm joking, but besides my mom, he'd be like, he, he back in the day, he'd be like, your mother's a bitch. But not, right. other than that, I can't think of any specific stuff. I would oh, love to. My I father would, would be like, that waitress walked over and was clicking her pin in a very aggressive way and I am not here like it would be like I would love I wonder if that's maybe your dad was just it's like him as a person and then also he let himself let people know he was noticing all this stuff oh oh, that muscle is not he had to let everyone in the room know every thought in his head at all times he thought everyone must know did he get in trouble I do too yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I do like, that too and I get in trouble. Oh, please. <laughs> I've had people won't talk to me. No, I feel like um, there's always someone in your life who you sort of view as like, who is like your sort of sword and shield? Who's like, mm. who's your warrior that you look up to? And mine was my Aunt Cindy. Just like this. I just remember like being a little kid and her flicking people off in traffic, yelling at people in grocery stores. And, and every time she'd come home and she'd have like this warrior story, we'd all like, yeah, Aunt Cindy, you got him. <laughs> like this feisty Italian Mexican woman who just let everyone have it. And every time I need to feel that, I'm like, oh, Aunt Cindy just came out of me, got it. <laughs> when you look back now that like, it's like, okay, she always had these warrior stories. Are you now like, Wait a minute. She's the common thread here, though, because it's like maybe no, she was caught- always right. Like she came home one day and she was like furious. I was like, what happened? She goes, I'm standing in line at the bank and I can feel someone staring at me. And I look over and she's staring at me. I'm like, all right, if I look back and she's staring at me one more time, I look back and, she's, and I put my purse down, stood there, crossed my arms and stared at her. And I thought, I'll stand until the bank closes. I'm not leaving until this <laughs> one looks away. She's like, and she looked away and I won and I got my check. And I was like, you better <laughs> work, Aunt Cindy. And Cindy. Good for her. <laughs> this doesn't like people staring at her. Yeah, she don't stare. Like, yes, yeah, she was like, I just don't like it. She's like, she was staring at me and I got real mad about it. There was a one time their neighbors, a branch of my neighbor's lawn from their tree dropped into my Aunt Cindy Uncle Mike's lawn. So my Aunt Cindy in the middle of the night moved it back into their lawn. Then they woke up and they, that they had moved it back in their lawn. So my Aunt Cindy woke up at 2 a.m., went outside, dragged it back to their lawn. And she said it was like weeks it went on. And finally they threw it out. Manson is like, I'm telling you right now, if if that branch was still there, I would wake up with pride at 4 a.m. every day, pick it up, move it across the lawn. I would never not. Dedication. Dedication. What do you got? What do you anticipate it's going to be like performing in the setting with not the live audience? Well, Tom, you can talk about that. You just did it in our show. Tell you. It was... um. You know, when we were rehearsing the show, we had a few people in the house every time, like whoever was kind of watching it, like Drew or the stage manager or, you know, some producers or things like that. And then when we filmed it the very first moment, I got on stage and I like said some things waiting, like expecting some kind of response. And there was just like people I was looking at, was kind of like, 
doing their work on the side, like looking at the <sighs> looking at the script. And I was just like, and then after the first, you know, we, we did it several times. And after the first time I go up to Drew and I'm like, oh, fuck, fuck this shit. I feel like shit. What the fuck is wrong? Like it was, it was so jarring. It was so jarring. And you, you're like, how am I going to get any tempo? How do I have any idea if something's wrong with what I'm saying? Is my timing off? You, it's such a. The audience and the performer at the same time. Because I had to, it was really fucking crazy. And then the once I got used to that medium, and I think all of us as performers, we you can get used to it. I'm telling you, you can. <laughs> because I had to like really punch myself in the face a lot on this, like inside my brain. Right. But you do have to, because we've been doing it for so long. We know when, when we need to give a breath or we need mm. to like, move on or we need to do whatever. And you have to kind of just, I had to kind of think of all of the times I did the show and think about like, where are the spots I have to slow down? Where are the pauses that I have to take where they usually would laugh? And like, you know, what is important in this moment that I don't, you know, people aren't going to laugh at. So I have to really be very clear. It was like a dance. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty helpful to rehearse the show with people there so that I could get different versions of laughs as we were going on. So we had different human beings giving me the response I'd have to remember when I actually performed the show when the filming crew was there. Yeah, but you also have never done this in front of an, a real audience. Like, you've, this is a mm. brand new show. So the most you've done it for is about five people. Yeah. So we were, you know, and so it, I, I can't wait to see you do this in front of an audience when we can do those things. Because I think we're going to find so many new things or different sort of moments. And because you really do have to play with your audience. I mean, you don't have anyone there. You just kind of have to imagine what they're doing. And you can't pause for laughs because that's so eggy. It's so weird. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Very <laughs> that. So like there had to be this weird kind of like breath as an you almost had to be more of an actor as opposed mm. to like a comedian on the stage. I really had to be, pretend that I was talking to one person and like really take them in and allow them to like understand what I was saying and give them a second to breathe while I took a second to breathe to be like what's coming next or how do I like just give myself a minute to like relax. It was well, uh, it was, I was yeah, because I've noticed I just did a Christmas show, which I usually I have a monthly show at Joe's Pub where I I sing all of Streisand's uh, music when she performed at Bonsoir. I'm a huge faggot, but um, you know, <laughs> really, I was I couldn't tell that you were so. Um, but it's a lot of back and forth, obviously. But what I noticed when we did it lat when I did it a week ago, and it was just my friend Henry and I there. I was like, oh. What people in audiences are tricked. They think they're watching this performer. The performer is leading us, but they're not. It is a back and forth. Mm -hmm. And the performer's waiting for the response of the audience to know they have the confidence to move on. Absolutely. Without the audience, you just have to be like, okay, I'm driving this ship. And yeah. it's a very strange, vulnerable position for actors and performers and comics to be in because we're just not used to it. Mm -hmm. No. No, it is. It's very much a conversation. And I, you know, I had a director that says an audience gets the show they deserve. You know, it's like, and, and, and it helped me. And, it, you know, you can look at it kind of bitchy, like, well, they weren't a good audience. They don't get a good show. But it really is that call and response and a different an audience that's willing you to do great or is, is going to help you do great and vice versa. You know, if they're on their phones totally. and are not literally not there, it's a lot harder to do. Sometimes it just depends on audiences, though. I'm a huge fan of opera, Maria Callas. She's on my arm. I love her. And she had been performing in Italy for most of her life, which obviously Italian audiences 
are tempestuous. They throw things at you. They fight with each other. They scream at the, I mean, they're just, you know, they're crazy. It's like a soccer game when you go to an Italian opera. She performed in London for the first time and they all clapped and sat in their seats and no one said anything. And she ran off stage and ran to the stage director and said, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Did something do wrong? He goes, oh no, this is just a British audience. Mm. Wow. Right. So, I mean, you guys notice when you travel around, I mean, I'm, when you perform in different states, you there is a difference in oh god people audiences that you perform in front. Of. I mean, it's it, like when I performed in London for the first time, I was taken aback by how excited they were and how hmm. like I I was like, oh, this is such a different energy that I have to work with. Yeah, uh, Norway. I think that was for me. Like Sam Pancake and I did a show in Norway, and they just sit there and smile. <laughs> out loud and afterwards they were like we really enjoyed that that was very humorous that was very very good <laughs> that's like, like what my mom that's like what waspy people are like right yeah yeah and they, just, they it was just a thing like i really laugh out loud that much and it was it was just like yeah we don't yeah. like to laugh out loud it's rude so we just sit and stare right. at the performance like no laugh no, i need you to laugh at me laugh. please <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have to start wrapping this up, but um, y'all are such great guests. Uh, yeah, thank you, you for doing the show. Tell us any more about the show and where people can find it, just to reiterate, so people can be able can watch it. Because this is coming out, this podcast is coming out the day the show comes out. Oh, oh great. 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go to iamatheater.com, and that's where you'll see all the information. You buy a ticket there. The tickets are like $15 or more if you want to give more to the theater company because, you know, trying times, y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you basically get a link to watch the show and you'll have, I think you have a week to press play. But once you oh, press great. play, you've got 48 hours to watch mm-hmm. it. Um, kind of like it's like an it will expire kind of thing. Uh, and then the talkbacks that we have, you'll also get emails with like a YouTube link with the talkback. The first week is Michael Yuri. He's giving a little talkback with uh, Drew and I which was really fun. And, um, you know, uh, I think that's really the, the, the gist of the information that you'll yeah. find. You say I am a theater.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I like when you said the show is about also healing too, being yeah. angry and then healing, at, you know, with everything that, you yeah. know, that's such an ongoing process we all need all the time, but it is an important thing to highlight when we're all, it's talking about anger, then also bringing up healing too. Yeah. Cause I yeah. think, Really, for me, talking about the anger is part of the healing process. So, totally. You don't have to get over the anger. I think that you have to at least recognize that it's there and just be like, oh, you're a fucking cunt nugget. And so you've got to mm-hmm. just, you just have to, you have to kind of like recognize it before you can kind of like help yourself not destroy your insides by absolutely because this is a coming out show about coming out as angry it's like Mm. people don't know tom detrinis is an angry person they know him as a lovely joyous you know ball of of energy and and positivity because you're also that but underneath Mm. is this angry person who's dying to come out so it's that's funny and healing through that It is smart that you're doing a show mm-hmm. that talks about anger because I think, I mean, I, I'm at like a waking eight, like I'm furious the second I wake up, but you know, <laughs> I, I think um, 
there's a catharsis and there is a healing just to, even as an audience member to watch a show about someone dealing with their anger because sometimes we don't recognize in ourselves what that anger is or how it's manifested until you're seeing it portrayed by somebody else and sure. it can start to make you reflect i mean if it's good art it makes you reflect and it will make i'm sure people watching will start to reflect on themselves oh how do i how am i behaving in certain situations and how do i begin that healing process mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's exactly right mm -hmm. So true. Right. Well, well, thank guys, you guys. I can't thank, thank you, you so for much coming for having us. Absolutely. Can you guys come back on the show again sometime just to chat with us for fun? Anytime. Whatever you want to chat. Whatever. We'll you get mad. We'll yeah, because I want to hear mad. about why why you don't like cheese. Oh, oh. you'll find out in the show. <laughs> Technically, in my mouth, when I put cheese inside my mouth, it tastes like I'm licking really, really sweaty, disgusting feet. Like it just kind of like you got the wrong cheese. Oh, that's the problem. I don't che get it. Tipo, che tipo di italiano sei tu? Se I, non ti piace formaggio. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Matteo. I know. Ma come mai? I mean, allora. all, we did, all we did was eat cheese when I was growing up. Ah. Parmigiano, pecorino romano, mozzarella, no. scamorza. What language no, are you speaking? It sounds it, like terrorism. No, no, it's faggot. <laughs> He's speaking faggot. Oh, I get it. I get Just it. Just so you know. Uh, I knew why I didn't like it. I knew yeah. I had a problem with it. <laughs> I like my, I like two kinds of cheese, Matteo. I like ricotta cheese and I like mozzarella cheese. And oh, we're good. Okay. We're gold. We're gold. Mozzarella. We're gold. You're good. We because you. it doesn't taste like anything. It's just texture. But if you put, I swear to God, if you put Parmesan on my food, I will punch you in the face. Like, like Parmigiano Reggiano from Wait. Parma and the wheel cut off fresh handed to no, you. Don't, mm. do it. don't do, do it. it all to me. I want all of it. Don't do it to me. Don't do it. I won't have it. How about mascarpone? It's similar yes, to ricotta. I'll have mascarpone. I'll have okay. mascarpone cheese. Yeah. And That's the one I don't like. Certain kinds of goat cheese I will eat. Like certain kinds of goat like, cheese. Uh, you won't yeah. eat Parmesan, but you'll go for the goat cheese. I'm telling That's you. Like saying, I don't eat seafood, my but I will eat the tooth of a shark. Like what? Yes. <laughs> Mateo, I don't make sense. I am an enigma. I, I, it I doesn't. Mean, it doesn't. He talks in the show at his favorite pasta that as a child, he would go get this specific type of cream sauce. Yeah. Pasta. And I called out in rehearsal. I'm like, you need to call out attention. The fact that you hate cheese, but you demand a cream sauce. Hilarious. <laughs> it, my my epitaph will just say Tom Trinus contrarian. And that's really just <laughs> what it's going to be. I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, and it was worse when I was a kid too. Like when my mom, like we'd have pasta every Wednesday and of Sunday. Course. Yes. And it was just like religion, Tell me. you know? And we would, we would sit down and I'd have to, if you had too much cheese on your pasta, my brother would not want sauce on his pasta. He would only want cheese on his pasta. And mm. I would have to sit at the other end of the table because I turned to him and be like, you smell like shit. <laughs> and I'd have to like sit on the other side. A little cutie. Could not handle it. <laughs> I was a butter pasta kid. It took me a while to like sauce. It, it took me a minute, but now I. Now that's no, but that's also sacrilege for yourself. Like I thought my brother was sacrilege. He was like, "How could you not have the gravy? What the fuck is wrong with you?" But the gravy. Oh my god, you're a gravy person. Oh, we could talk for hours. We could argue. <laughs> we could just call it Wops yelling. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. For being thank on you, guys. Show. We really appreciate you, and then we'll definitely have you back on just to chat about Liza and all of our favorite hands. I love right. it. Oh, thank, thank you for having us. Thanks, Bye, guys. Bob. Bye. Star Avenue, a, podca <clears throat> a podcast network.